Acts chapter 12, verse 1, and it reads, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some, of, uh, some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Let me pause. Um, the definition of harassment uh, has changed. <laughs> we think harassment is somebody's talking about us on Instagram, someone didn't speak to us at work, someone doesn't like us or whatever it may be. Here, harassment was he got his head chopped off. I just wonder uh, if we're a little bit more thin-skinned. That was fun. Okay, here we go. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was, the day, it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was there, left, kept in prison, and constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. When Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains. Two chains was there. That's very corny preacher jokes. Preacher jokes are cornier than dad jokes, by the way. They're dads telling preacher jokes. Anyway, two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. The light shone in the prison, and he cuffed, he hit, he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Father God, we're grateful that there is power in the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, you said the name of Jesus is the greatest name there ever was. That's your name. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that you are Lord of all. God, we decree and declare in this moment everything that's not like you, every sickness, every discouragement, every fear, it must bow to the name of Jesus. We are in the atmosphere of miracles. God, we sit here in anticipation, anxious to hear what you have to say to us. Father God, we love you. We worship you. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Y'all ready to preach? It's going to be a roller coaster. Baltimore, you ready? Here we go. We are concluding a series today that we've been in the last five weeks called I'm Not That Spiritual. I'm Not That Spiritual. And here's the heart or the mindset or the desire behind this series. It's kind of like cattle prods. I'm trying to, to provoke you back into a place of intensely pursuing God with all that you have. I was listening to a podcast recently um, by, by Michael Hyatt. He's a, a kind of a, a leadership guru type of person. And he was saying that, that human nature, our natural propensity is mediocrity. He said anything that you leave alone, just, just don't do anything with it, and it will naturally decay. Life doesn't go from chaos to order. Life goes from order to chaos. Like, for example, let's talk about marriage for a second. Here's the recipe for having a bad marriage. Just leave it alone. Just, just don't do anything with it. Don't invest it. You, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to yell. You don't have to have bad attitudes. You just need to ignore it and focus all on the kids and focus all on work or whatever it may be because it will just atrophy. It, it, it will just decay because things naturally go to a place of mediocrity. You want to have some jacked up finances? J just don't pay attention to your finances. 
just get paid and don't have a budget and just throw money out, all that kind of stuff. And next thing you know, you're not going to end up know where you are because things naturally decline to a place of mediocrity. Hear me, our faith is the same way. That if we just don't pay attention to our faith, to our pursuit in God, that it will just naturally decline to a place of mediocrity. And here's the thing, here, here's the trick or the danger so often because we're not trapped in some type of egregious sin, we feel like we're good. You know, I'm not ratchet like this person. I'm not doing that. I'm not as bad as I used to be. Here's something that just kind of struck me as I was preparing. I believe as Christians, we're too sin conscious. What do you mean by that? God wants me holy. Yes, I get that. But hear me. Jesus did not die on the cross. He did not step into our life just for us to live a life of trying to avoid sin. As believers, our goal is not to avoid sin. Our goal is to pursue God with all that we have. And as we pursue him, avoiding sin is a natural byproduct. But avoidance of sin wasn't the goal. More of who God is in our life was the goal. Somebody say amen like he's already preaching in the intro. It's like, man, there's so much more. So what I've been trying to do week after week is kind of just, just kind of nudge you a little bit, give you a little, a little angel strike like Peter got of, man, there is so much more that God has for you. Here's the problem that, as I've been saying, I'm not that spiritual. A lot of you agree with me. You're like, Pastor, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm not that spiritual. I know I'm not that godly. I know based on the way that I responded yesterday that I'm not as godly as I need to be. I still have too many buttons that people can push. I'm not as spiritual as this person or that person. Maybe you feel like you're not as spiritual as your spouse. If that's you, don't raise your hand. But in every marriage, there's always like that really spiritual one and then the not so spiritual one. Anyone who want to guess which one I am? You're the pastor. You better be the spiritual one. Wrong answer. My wife is one of those boys. Talk about a prayer warrior. I'm out there. I'm out there, right? I'm just all the way out there. She'll pray for four hours, and I'm just getting started. Like, let's go. 21 days of prayer. This is, this is beginner stuff. Let's go 40 days. I'm on day two. Like, I'm hungry. We still pray. Let me help those of you out, you non-spiritual part of the marriage. Uh, you remember I preached a few weeks ago, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're in error because you either don't know the power of God or the word of God. Yeah. I find every single person, you have a bent one of different way. You're either bent towards the spirit and the power of God or you're bent towards wisdom and the word of God. It's not that you're not spiritual. It's just that your bent is to the word and the wisdom of God. Your spouse's bent is to the spirit of God. And together, come on now. The two shall become one is where there's wisdom and holiness and all that other good stuff. Move on. Anyway, maybe you're just like, oh, I just, I just, I know that I'm not as godly as, 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 as I should be. Or maybe you feel this way that, you know, I love God and I'm pursuing God, but, but my prayers are just not as powerful as, as, say, the pastor's. Like, I know when the pastor prays, oh, Oh, things move, things change, but, but when I pray, it's a chance. I'm, I'm, my prayers aren't as powerful. Let me just pause there for a second. You know, there's certain people like, man, I got to get the pastor to pray for me. 
Like, I'm so grateful that you can pray and all that kind of stuff, but I, I need a pastor or a deacon or whatever. And hear me, if you want a pastor to pray for you, I love to pray for people. I try to make it to the lobby after every single service. I would love to pray for you. I just have some bad news for you. My prayers aren't as powerful as you think they are. Not that they're not powerful. Here's the thing. My prayers aren't more powerful than another believer praying for you. Because who's praying for you doesn't bring the power. Who's responding to that prayer is what brings that power. And it doesn't matter if you've been saved for five minutes or for 50 years. The response comes from the same place. So today I want to preach a message called I Am that spiritual. What I want to encourage you in is, is for you to catch a revelation that you're actually more godly than you think you are. You have more power within you than you think you are. You actually have more clout, if I could say it that way, Baltimore, in the spirit realm than you think you are. There is no contention that God is powerful. Somebody say amen. We, we, we know that God is powerful. We, we quote that verse that he's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ever ask think, or imagine. Here's the problem that I find so often, though. We quote verses, but we never really look them up in Scripture. And because we never look them up in Scripture, we actually misquote verses. You know what that verse actually says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20? It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Somebody say, I knew that. We quoted that right. I got that. But that's not the end of the verse. You know what the end of verse says? Read it with me. According to the power that works. Did you catch that? It's not just that God's powerful and he's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all you can ever ask, think, or imagine. It's that that power is in you as a believer. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 8. It says the same power that raised Christ from the dead, it lives inside of you and it quickens your mortal body. It's not just that God's powerful, it's that as a believer, that power lives inside of you and you have supernatural ability. My prayer is that God would open your eyes, not just to see who he is, but to see who you are in him. Remember that passage where God had the children of Israel in, in the wilderness and he brought them to the edge of Canaan. He said, hey, go in, send some spies in to see all that I've promised them. And the spies went in and they came back and they said, we can't take the land. He said, there's giants in the land and we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes as well. I believe there's a grasshopper complex. Any bugs life, anybody grew up in the 90s, you see that was, that was real TV. Anyway, I feel like there's a grasshopper's complex on believers where we minimize who we are and we trivialize what we're able to do. Say, oh, man, I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not that. I'm not this. No, 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 no. Not understanding that the supernatural power of God dwells inside of you. God has done so many just supernatural miracles through my life of people being healed and all that other good stuff. And I was kind of thinking of, of which story to tell you of, you know, somebody in a wheelchair getting ready to head into surgery and being healed or whatever it may be. Here's the problem. None of the supernatural stories that I have to tell make me look good. That's why I'm not going to tell them. 
uh, none of the supernatural stories I, I, I tell make me sound like a great healing event. I mean, I wish I had a story where I could tell you that, that I said, bring, bring the healing oil. <laughs> the word of the Lord to you today is rise from your infirmity. I don't know, that's just how I, I, I'll say it this way. When, when God heals people through my life, it doesn't look like it looks on TV. Not that there's anything wrong with TV, but when you're on TV, they, you know, they take their jacket off and, and then the whole roll falls out. And I can see it. I'm just like, God, you don't do it that way when you do it through me. Oftentimes it's me mumbling some feeble, God, please bless them, God, heal them. I walk off and nothing happens. And a week later, I come back and the person's like, you would not believe I went to the doctor and it was changed. Why? Because I see myself as not being all that, not realizing it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the power of God that's in me. I, I remember the first time that I, I, I prophesied to somebody for, for the first time. I was about 20 years old. I was preaching at a leader's retreat. It was probably about 70 uh, people, youth leaders and all that in the room. And, and I was getting ready to preach and, and worship was going on before the message. So everybody around me, they were worshiping and, and I was reviewing my notes. I, I hadn't preached in many places at that time and I was just concerned about not embarrassing myself. Like I gotta get it, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta bring it. You can tell there's a lot of I, 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 I in a lot of what I'm saying. But I'm like reading my notes while worship is going on. On and, and the Holy Spirit convicted me. And he said, why aren't you worshiping? And I'm like, I'm reading my notes. He said, if you don't know it now, you're not going to know it. So you might as well put your notes away and engage in this supernatural moment. So I'm sitting there and I put my notes away and I'm worshiping. As I'm worshiping, I felt the Holy Spirit, just that still small voice said, hey, when you get up there, before you preach, the person that's introducing you, just tell them that there's a Joshua anointing on their life and God's called them to lead the people into the promise. And I was like, no. No, I'm not telling them that because that's not how prophecy works. You could tell I've been in church too long. <laughs> prophecy works like this. Thus saith the Lord. The word of the Lord to you today is, and by the way, your middle name is this, your aunt's name is this, you were born on this day, you drive this color car, and this is what God has to say to you. I said, that's a prophecy, God. So when you give me that much to say, he said, no, I told you what to say. Just say, Joshua anointed, leading, and that's it. And I sit in there, you ever, you ever been wrestling with God? He told you to do something, told you to apologize, told you to go talk to a coworker, and you're just like, no, I ain't doing it. And the conviction is just getting stronger and stronger. And I'm, but that, that, this thought crossed my mind. It's probably not good to start a message with disobedience. <laughs> if I want him to help me with the message, I probably should do what he says first. So I go up to preach, and, and I'm like fumbling through my notes. I know where my notes are. I'm just like stalling. And finally, I said, hey, before you go, I feel like the Holy Spirit just told me to tell you that there's a Joshua anointing on your life that he's called you to lead the people into the promise. And as I said it, it just got longer and longer and longer. And you feel like you've been marching around in the wilderness and you haven't known which direction to take and all that. And it's amazing how my obedience unlocked all that God wanted to say. So I, I give him the word and, you know, I'm looking for some sign that it was God. Which are just, there's only two signs in church. Tears or falling. If they cry, you know it was God. And if they fall, it's the Holy Ghost. He did neither. 
He said, thank you. <laughs> what is that? Thank you. I was like, man, I blew it. So I preached a message, going about my business. And, and afterwards, he comes to me. I, I, I can't say I hate this. Done. Okay. I don't like you afterwards, Christians. <laughs> you, God really moved, but I don't want to show nothing. So I'll tell you afterwards. You're making me look bad. Anyway, so he comes to me afterwards. And he says, you have no idea how powerful that was. I was just offered a job as a youth leader over a youth group called the Joshua Generation. And I'm praying and asking God, is this a job that I should take? Is this a direction that I should go? And man, that was confirmation from God. And I'm like, why didn't you say that? <laughs> All that to say, now the Bible says we're jars of clay. I feel like God works through our inadequacies. And we have this picture that when I get here spiritually, that's when God can do great things through me and hear me. If you are a follower of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you right now. And hear me, you don't need more power. We just need to become more aware of the power that already resides within us. So there's just three statements, three statements that I'm even going to say this boldly. I think these are three great statements for you to memorize, to become a part of your life. The first statement is this, if you could write this down. When I pray, heaven responds. When I pray, heaven responds. In this passage that we were reading, uh, Herod uh, which was actually one of the sons of Herod, uh, he arrested James. And, and, and he found that he found favor with the people that hated the church, the Jews, by, by chopping James' head off. He, he executed James. And when he found that people were excited, he went and he arrested Peter. And the plan was to do the same thing with Peter that he did with James. The only thing is when they arrested Peter, it was in the middle of the Passover. And, and they had to wait for the Passover to be over before they could execute Peter. So, so they grab Peter, they put him in prison, and, and they're ready to execute. But look what it says. And in verse 5, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but. Somebody say but. Come on, Baltimore. Say but. Here's what but means. But means this time was different than the time with James. But this time, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now just follow me here. If I were James, I'd be pretty frustrated. Watch this. I'm, I'm serving God. I'm a leader in the church. I'm, I'm doing great things. I'm advancing his kingdom. And I get arrested and my head gets chopped off. It's not fair. You know, I know a lot of bad people that you can chop their head off, but why me? I'm serving God. But you know, hey, you know, we were we, we, not crucified with Christ. No longer I live. Christ lives in me. He died on the cross for me. I could die for my faith. It's great. Hey, what's the worst that happened? I go to heaven. All the other good stuff. So here my James. I'm in heaven. I'm holding my head. I mean, I guess God put it back on. But I mean, I'm back in heaven. Things are good. I'm chilling, right? And then I see Peter get arrested a few days later. I'm in heaven now, seeing Peter get arrested. Oh, man, Peter, I'm telling you, it goes really quickly, man. You ain't got to worry about it. You're going to be right up here with me all the way good. But then all of a sudden, I see God send an angel to Peter. And Peter doesn't get his head chopped off. Peter gets a miracle. The angel comes in. He takes off his two chains. He walks out the prison. Peter lives. Now I'm upset. 
I mean, I'm all right for me getting my head chopped off if Peter gets the same, but how come I lost mine and he gets to live longer? I'm going to Jesus and I'm saying, what's up with that? You said you're no respecter of persons. It looks like Peter's your favorite because I lost my head. Peter got to keep his. What's up? You've got to explain yourself. And Jesus responds, Peter, I'm so sorry. The church wasn't praying for you. I wanted to save. I wanted to respond. But I don't have dominion there. I gave dominion to man. And the only way I could step into that situation is if the church invited me. And I'm so sorry, James. But they were sleeping when you got arrested. When you got arrested, they didn't think it was a big deal. They thought that you were going to get 39 lashes minus one, you know, a tap on the wrist, don't preach Jesus, and then you'd be released like the last time. So they didn't really take it seriously, so, so they didn't pray. Now, when Peter got arrested, they realized how serious it was, and they began to cry out to me. That's why I could respond, I'm so sorry. When I pray, heaven responds. Could it be that because we see ourselves as grasshoppers, because we see ourselves as small, we don't realize how our prayers unlock the supernatural power of God in our lives? Could it be that someone's life is dependent on our prayer? In James chapter 5, and coincidentally it's James, but it's not the same James. Because the first James lost his head. This is James, the brother. Jesus, James chapter 5, verse 6, he says this. Admit your faults. Admit the areas of your life that aren't going well to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and wonderful results. If we could only realize how our prayers release the supernatural power of God into our lives. Here's my question. What areas of your life are you sleeping on? And let me say it this way. What areas of your life are you not praying on? Because it looks like things are going well. It looks like things are fine or whatever it may be. My wife, we, um, we went on vacation last week, and, you know, this is just crazy that's going on, so we decided not to fly to anywhere. Is, we usually vacation, we on a plane to somewhere with blue water, sand, and all that, but this time we, we decided to drive, and we pack all the kids in the car, all the kids, we got two, we grab the kids into the car, and we get ready to drive, and right before I pull out of the driveway, I said, hold on, babe, and I pray, Father God, cover us as we go on this trip, and she looks at me like, you never pray before we drive, what are we doing? And I said, forgive me, this is the way I was raised. I was raised if you drive locally, you don't pray before you drive. But if you're driving out of state, you pray. <laughs> it's just the way I was raised. If you drive locally, State Farm will cover it. But if you get outside of state, you need an angel. To <laughs> I was just raised that if you're going on a long trip, pray. Come on, highways, byways, cover, protect, angel, that whole deal. But here's the thing. There's just trivial things that that we don't even bother to pray about. Don't even bother to think about, watch this until it gets bad. What if we started praying for the healing power of God before sickness came? What if we didn't pray that he would heal us? What if we prayed that he'd keep us? 
What if we didn't pray for the supernatural financial increase when we've lost our job or when we lost a contract, but what if we prayed those prayers when we already had more than enough so that he can continue to bless us so that we can be generous on every single occasion? If only we could understand how powerful our prayers are. I think we would be praying all the time. It might be why he said pray without. Ceasing. Because when I pray, heaven responds. The second thing I want you to write down is this. When I speak, mountains move. When I pray, heaven responds. But when I speak, mountains move. Hear me. There's a difference between praying and declaring. Praying is this. My, my, my oldest Zoe, she's four, um, and, and, and she is a tail bearer. Tail bear is a biblical word for a snitch. She loves to tell, and daddy, daddy, Roman said, leave me alone. Daddy, Roman, Roman spilled bubbles on the carpet. Daddy, daddy, Roman. And, 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 and here's what prayer is. Prayer is Zoe telling Roman, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to tell daddy. Prayer is invoking a higher power into the situation. Speaking is Based on the authority that has been given to me, I'm not asking anybody for permission. This has to, you have to hold my hand or whatever. This has to be, here's the thing. We pray and we ask God to invade and that's great, but we don't understand that God is giving you authority as a believer that your words change situations. There was this encounter, the disciples, they were headed into the city one morning walking with Jesus. Jesus sees this fig tree that has leaves on it. It's actually in Mark chapter 11, verse 30, it says this. And seen from afar, a fig tree having leaves, Jesus, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. He found something. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. So he went, he saw all these leaves. There was nothing on the tree but leaves. He was looking for figs, and there were no figs. Watch this. For it wasn't even the season for figs. Like he went to the tree to look for figs, but it wasn't fig season, and, and he didn't find any figs. Why would he expect to find figs on a tree? It's not fig season. Verse 14, in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, and his disciples heard it. Deal? Going about their business. The end of the day, they come back, they walk the same street, past the same fig tree, and they find the fig tree is dead. Withered from the root up, the Bible says. Baltimore, are you tracking with me? God cursed that fig tree with his words. We'll talk about that in a second. Why? He's not even supposed to have figs. But here now, the disciples are bugging out. They're like, he just spoke to the tree and the tree died? That's weird. Here's what they said. How did this happen? And Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. No. Um, we asked, how did the tree die? Have faith in God. I'm not calling Jesus super spiritual. He's the definition of spirituality. But you have been around super spiritual people. That you just ask them the most practical question, and they give you the most biblically super spiritual dumb answer. <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to make a decision of whether you're going to go to a new job or not. You're like, I have this job. I got an offer from somewhere else. The benefits are better. They're, they're paying me, you know, 15% more. And this job's not bad, but I heard layoffs are coming. I'm not quite sure what to do. What do you think I should do? Have faith in God. <laughs> I got that. I'm believing in God. Matter of fact, I think God brought the other job. What I need to do is what to do. He said, have faith in God. That's not an answer. He said, for surely I say to you, 
Whoever says to this mountain, you're concerned about a fig tree? Whoever speaks to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he, those, come on Baltimore, those things he, not those things he prays, those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he Listen, when I speak, mountains move. Can I tell you why God said have faith in God? Here's the Stephen translation. Jesus, you spoke and that tree withered up. How did that happen? You're surprised that when I spoke, a tree withered? Oh, you don't have any faith. You have no comprehension of the power of God that dwells in us. You were impressed by a tree withering? Listen, any of you disciples that are going to abandon me, by the way, if you would just speak to this mountain and not doubt that it can happen, you can see that mountain cast into the sea. Here's what God was saying, that when you understand that your words carry power, life and death is in the power of God, in the power of the tongue. Say this with me. Say, I was made in the image of God. Y'all was hesitant in the beginning. Like, I don't know what you're about to make me say, so I'm waiting here the first time. So now that you've heard it, come on, Baltimore. Say, I was made in the image of God. One more time. I was made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God, right? Well, God is a creator. Come on now. Tell me in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he create the heavens and the earth? He, he said, let there be and there was. So if you were made in the image of God and he can create with his words, what do you think you can do with? Here's why the difference between pray and say are so big. Because some of us pray one thing, but when we get out of that upper room that PZ preached about, when we get out of church, out of the presence of God, and we're living life, our say contradicts our prayer. And we don't even realize it, but we're undermining what we're praying because we're saying something completely different. God, bless me. If you can expand my business, if you can help me get that promotion, God, if you can provide for me. Oh, my gosh, this pandemic is crazy. The economy, economy is kind of turning the wrong way, and there's no way my business is ever going to bounce back until next spring. And all this, our saying isn't lining up with our praying. And God is saying you're lacking faith in God because you don't realize how powerful your words are when you speak. Mountains move. Watch this. If you don't doubt. Pastor, I, I've said it. I walked by the Mercedes dealership, man, and I looked at that E-Class, and I said it's mine in Jesus' name. <laughs> and I'm still driving this Corolla, so what's going on? <laughs> Notice. He said, if you say and do not doubt. Hmm. Well, how do I say without doubting? Can I tell you what doubting is? I said it, but maybe God's going to do it. Maybe he won't. Maybe he will. You ever pray something specific from God? Come on, I'm not the only one in here. Don't look at me like that. And on Monday, you are certain he's going to do it. And on Tuesday, you're like, oh. And then on Wednesday, you're like, he's going to do it. And then Thursday, he won't do it. You ain't going to do it. Do it for the grave. I ain't going to do it. <laughs> you're doubting. The Bible calls you double-minded. And it says you're not going to get anything that you ask for. So, Pastor, how do I say without doubting? Can I teach you? It's very simple. Before you say, 
take it to God. Don't just, God's going to, talk too much. Take that into his presence. Take it into his word. Does his word back up what you're saying? God, I'm believing that this is the season that you're going to expand. You're going to do this or whatever. But as I'm praying, and I'm not just praying, God, yes, are you going to do it? God, please do it. But I'm praying for a confirmation, for a peace that surpasses doubt, that surpasses all understanding, that guards my heart and guards my mind. And when I've taken it into prayer and he's confirmed it in prayer through his peace that he's going to do it, then I can say it with some confidence. I can talk about Atlanta and Brooklyn and Richmond and Dallas and all this other kind of stuff because I've submitted it in prayer first. I've found peace so now I can say without doubting when I can say without doubting that's when I can see it come to pass somebody say amen y'all want to have a little bit of fun I'm having fun already a little bit more fun so here's it why is it that Jesus cursed the tree like I mean could you imagine how stressed out that tree was it's just a normal day minding my business and then here comes my creator walking by Hopefully you don't see me. Just keep, it's like when your district manager shows up. Just mind your business. Avoid all contact. I'm just straight. Oh, gosh, he's walking this way. He's walking. Oh, no, he's, he's walking right. Oh, I don't got no fruit. I don't got no fruit. <laughs> what are you doing? I got to get some fruit. May there never be fruit from you again. Oh, man. Why did Jesus curse that fig tree? Why was the fig tree so stressed? That fig tree was stressed because that fig tree knew something that Jesus knew, but the other disciples did not know. That fig tree knew that the way that God created fig trees, the proper order of fig trees, is they produce fruit first, leaves second. Fig trees get their leaves after, you know, like you'll have flowers or bushes that they'll have flowers in the spring and then after the flowers fall off, then come the leaves. That's how a fig tree is. So it wasn't the season for figs, but it also wasn't the season for leaves. So when Jesus walked by and saw the leaves, he understood the order of creation and where there's leaves, there must be figs. And when he didn't find any figs, he cursed the tree because it was out of order. He says, I don't want to have trees that have leaves but no fruit. Sounds like a Bible verse that I've read before where it talks about a form of godliness but denying the power within. You know what that tree was? That tree was someone who knows how to look spiritual. Oh, I know how to shout. I got church clothes. I know what to wear to church. I know, how to, I know how to move my feet. I know when to say amen. I know how to put my finger up and walk out before the offering comes. I know everything about. <laughs> I've been in church. I know how to do this church thing. But here's what Galatians chapter 5 tells me, that there's fruit that comes along with being a believer. There's joy and there's peace and there's patience and there's long-suffering. And when God comes by, he's looking for my fruit, not for my suit. You see how that just rhymed? That, that was fun. That wasn't even playing. That was just Jesus. God says this is out of order because I'm not looking for something that looks right. I'm looking for something that is right. By the way, that tree is us. Because in Psalm chapter 1, it says that those who study God's word, they will be like trees planted by streams of living water, and they will bear fruit in and 
out of season, which means if I got the power of God in my life, I can have joy in a pandemic. I don't care if this is joy season or not. I can have prosperity in the middle of a recession because the season doesn't determine my fruit. It's God says, I'm not so concerned about how you look. I'm concerned about what's being produced from your life. First thing is this, when I pray, heaven responds. When I speak, mountains move. Last thing is this, when I agree, miracles happen. When I agree. So here it is. Wasn't Pastor Zai's message last week just, it, it, was, it was amazing. She had me laughing, but she also had me convicted like, I don't know what. Because if something happened to one of my children, I ain't responding it as well. I mean, I'm not going to lose my mind, but <laughs> I got to fight. We're going to fix this. She's talking about how your spiritual walk is indicated by your response to crisis. You want to talk about response to crisis, y'all? Y'all, Peter was sleeping. Did you catch that? Like James had his head chopped off. Peter was in prison waiting for the same fate, and he was asleep. And it wasn't a nap. It was like the kids are gone for the weekend. I'm a grown man, but I haven't taken a nap in seven years, and I'm about to maximize it. It says the angel struck him to wake him up. As you read on, it actually says that Peter thought he was dreaming until he ended up in the street and walk, woke up and realized it wasn't a dream. I don't know what it was. Here's what I think. I think Peter knew that his work here on earth wasn't done. I think Peter knew that God had more in store for him, and he knew that God said that he who began a good work is faithful to see it through to completion, and God's not done. So I don't know how this is going to work out. Maybe I'm going to die. going to bring me back to life. I don't know how he's going to reattach my head. But anyway, I'm not done, so I'm just going to go sleep because God has more for me. Angel comes. He hits Peter. I know that angel kind of enjoyed it. Peter wakes up. They walk out. Here's what happens in chapter, verse 12. It says this. So when he had considered this, when he came outside... He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. This is going to be fun. A little rabbit trail. My whole message is a rabbit trail. Do you remember probably about six or seven weeks ago, we preached a message in our cancel culture series? It was called Temporarily Canceled. If you remember that, if not, cop online. It's amazing. Anyway, we're talking about Paul. Paul had this guy named John Mark with him. John Mark was a punk. He flaked out on a mission trip. So Paul said, I'm not bringing with you again. You, you, he just left John Mark. He went off, got arrested, ended up in jail. Paul and Silas is when they sang and praised him. The earthquake came. They were released from prison. So we say, I'm tracking. Even if you're not tracking, just lie to me. I'm tracking. So anyway, Paul, he abandoned John Mark and he went on about his business. Well, John Mark didn't disappear from the place of the earth. He was still here. You know what John Mark did? He went and started working for Peter. The Bible tells us that John Mark was actually Peter's assistant. And when Peter got arrested, John Mark gathered a prayer meeting. This is funny. At his mama's house. He's still living with his mama, by the way. He, he said, hey, guys, we don't want to happen to Peter what shouldn't have happened to James. So y'all. Don't just pray in your house by yourself, but can we all gather together and cry out to God together? Now, hear me. This was a season when they were arresting Christians and chopping their heads off. 
So they were taking a major risk to gather together. But they said it's worth it to come together because something happens when we're together that does not happen when we're separate. In Matthew chapter 18 verse 19 it says this. Again, this is Jesus speaking. I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything. Y'all, that word anything is huge. That means if we could just agree that in the DMV it's going to be difficult to go to hell, it's going to be difficult for people not to fall in love with Jesus, that marriages are going to be restored, that addictions are going to be broken, that destinies are going to be re If we could just agree on it, he said anything can happen. He says it will be done for them by my Father in heaven for where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst. Man, when I pray, heaven responds. When I speak, mountains move. But when I come into agreement with another believer, miracles break out in my life. Hear me. This Christian life was never made to be lived alone. It was never made to be lived in isolation. It's just me and Jesus. You know, you can't trust people. People are crazy. So I'm just, I'm just me and God. I'm just, you know. Listen, people are crazy. You one of them. But for some reason, God has made us interdependent. Yeah, you can have a good life by yourself. Because as if you would ever lock arms with other like-minded believers and come into agreement, I... This is not being, being sacrilegious. This is Jesus' words. He said, I have to respond. That's why to me it's foolish not to be in a connect group. It's foolish to church hop and visit a bunch of places but not find a place to plug in and do life with other believers. The Bible says if you could just come into agreement, I'm telling you, one of the enemy's greatest strategies is to get division. Because he said, if I could keep you separated, I could keep you from creating atmospheres where God will show up himself. Oh, man. If families could just eat dinner together again. Before we eat, hey, y'all, can we pray together? Man, if friends could just say, hey, what's going on in your life? Can I pray for you? Now, I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to fight for you. I got your back, but can I pray for you? We're just coming through 21 days of prayer and fasting. and Normally in this season, we'll write down prayer requests and put them on the altar and pray over them. But this year, with COVID and all that kind of stuff, we didn't really pass anything out. Normally, it's about 600 prayer requests, but because we couldn't pass things out, we actually put it online so that you could just fill out what your prayer need is online. Y'all, it's normally 600 people, God, because we put it online, over 2,600 prayers were submitted and were prayed by hundreds, 
the same prayer request prayed by hundreds of people. Can't you imagine how miracles are breaking out? Just this Friday at Catalyst, somebody came to Catalyst from a car accident in crutches and a knee brace in extreme pain. A few people just gathered around them and began to pray, and they said, you would not believe it. In that moment, I feel like the pain is beginning to relinquish. I've never felt like this before. If we just understood the power that we have access to because the creator of the universe lives inside of us. You are not a grasshopper. That's deep. You are spiritual. You are the temple of creator God. He has great things that he will do through you. Let's pray. Father God, we are we're grateful. Your word says no eye has seen, no ears heard, no mind can conceive, God, what you have in store. God, you're going to do it not just for us, but God, you're going to do it through us. God, open our eyes to see who we are in you. Right where you are, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time to Make this message personal to you. The reality is that there are some of you watching online, some of you in this room, some of you in Baltimore, that, that you do not have access to the power of God. You don't have access to the power of God because you've never surrendered your life to God. You've never given him permission to move in, not just with his control, but with his power. Maybe you're saying right now, Pastor, that is true. I can't say that I have access to God's power in my life, but I want him in my life. I just don't know how. The Bible says it's so simple. It's just two things. You invite him in, and you surrender your life. You believe and you confess. Say, God, I give you full control of my decisions and my words and my future and my eternity. All that I am, I give to you. You say, Pastor, I... I want to make that decision. Right where you are, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Today, I invite you into my life. I surrender all that I am to you. Be my Lord, be my Savior and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.